May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy, pleasing, and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for those of you who are new to the Episcopal Church, and perhaps those who aren't, if you're not aware, this morning is Transfiguration Sunday. It is always the last Sunday which signals what's to come. And what's to come this week, does anybody know? The beginning of Lent, yes. So, Transfiguration Sunday is always the Sunday right before we begin our descent into the wilderness, otherwise known as Lent. And that begins on Wednesday of this week with a service of ashes, where we impose ashes on the foreheads of those gathered. And as the priest, I invite the congregation by way of ashes and scripture and song into the observance of a holy Lent. But before we get there, we meet Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And again, this week they are high on a mountain. We've spent a lot of time in Matthew on mountains, haven't we? And remember, Mountains make nice settings for really important things to happen in the narrative of God. Mountains are a clue always when we read scripture that something big is about to happen. You can read cover to cover in the Bible. If there is a mountain setting, something important will happen. So, we find Jesus. He's alone. He's alone with Peter, James, and John, those closest to him. And I can only imagine they have traipsed up a mountain. I mean, it was a long trek up this mountain, so I'm sure they're probably tired. I can imagine in some ways it was nice to be up and away, far from the needs of the masses. Remember, up to this point, Jesus has healed many. He's fed at least 4,000 people. It was a miracle. And as scripture records, once he comes down the mountain, guess what? It starts all over again. People clamor. He sees their needs, and he meets them. But while he is on the mountain, it gives Jesus a break, a break from having to be needed. Show of hands if that sounds nice. Yes! <laughs> I know at least all the parents and grandparents out here, you know what that's like. Sometimes you just need a break. Well, that's kind of how I see Jesus in this story, is that he is on this mountain. He has journeyed up, and finally he is alone with those closest to him. He was finally able to step away. A break from the healing. A break from those needing him. 
So meanwhile, in the middle of this respite, something otherworldly happens. It's puzzled scholars for millennia. Preachers really don't know what to do with it. But you know what? It's in scripture. It happened. So Matthew, in his wisdom and in his goodness, wastes no time in describing. Jesus and his disciples are praying, minding their own business, and right there, before their very eyes, he was changed. Jesus, yes, his face changed, and his clothes shone bright, dazzling white. Now, mind you, this has never happened before. Jesus has not done this up until this point. So what is happening really is pretty extraordinary. I mean, put yourself in the position of Peter, James, and John for just a moment. Can you imagine what that must have been like? You walk up with your teacher, minding your own business, and right before your very eyes, you are witness to a transformation. Something otherworldly is happening right before you. Remember, up until this point, and Matthew is very, um, he's really good about describing the disciples. Mark, not so much. Mark, he's not so um, generous in his descriptions of the disciples. But Matthew, he really is. Matthew um, engages them and really does credit to them. And at this point, these disciples don't know what to do. We have the luxury of knowing what's going to happen as we read through the story. But this word transfiguration certainly is a funny word, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but it's not a word that I use very often in my vocabulary. Not at all. And here it is in scripture. And in many ways, if you read the story, it just kind of seems plopped down in the middle of the story. Nothing leads up to it, and really nothing follows it. It's just right in the middle of the story. But this moment, this moment of transfiguration, it really does serve a a purpose. A fellow preacher said it this way, which I think is really lovely. And this is what he says. I like to think of the Christmas message as a tightly, even intricately packaged Christmas gift, which takes us the whole of epiphany to unwrap and discover. Transfiguration Sunday draws the season to a close, and Matthew's account provides the nearly perfect bookend to the story of Jesus' baptism that we read on the first Sunday of Epiphany. Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? The first Sunday of Epiphany does, for me at least, seem like a lifetime ago, but it's interesting The first Sunday of Epiphany and the last Sunday of Epiphany, the same words are bellowed down from heaven. 
repeated for effect, kind of like bookending the season. Kind of like the author of Matthew saying, pay attention, this really is important. And the words that are echoed at the beginning of Epiphany and at the end of Epiphany are these. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So again, the same words we hear at Jesus' baptism, when the heavens opened up and the dove descended on him, are the exact same words which were spoken from heaven when Jesus ascended high on a mountain and was transformed dazzling white. At these very pivotal moments, Jesus' father, his, he was present and calling out who his son was. At his baptism, at the transfiguration, each time God reminding, listen to him. So as we are moving out of the season of Epiphany straight into Lent, why, why are we told again to listen to him? I think it's a question worth pondering. It is something worthy to think about. I think many of us realize those who have experienced these mountaintop experiences, they don't last forever, right? When you meet God in some spectacular way, you can't live on the mountain forever. Eventually, you have to come down. And so does Jesus. We all have to come down from the mountain. So he begins his walk down, and with each step down the mountain, he's acutely aware, aware of what he will soon face. And what is that? His own mortality. Jesus knows he will soon face death. And with each step down the mountain, with each breath he takes, he is reminded that all control will soon cease to be. And as this control breaks loose, I think he knows he needs a break. And on Transfiguration Sunday, he gets it. That respite that he will need in order to move into what comes next. And guess what? He's not alone. This could be a small detail overlooked, but in this moment, before his journey to his death, he shares company with two figures, pillars of our faith, Moses and Elijah, two giants of the faith. Having both of them appear on the mountain of transfiguration appears to seamlessly join the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of it culminating on the mountain in Jesus. I can only imagine probably Moses and Elijah weren't talking to Jesus about the details of the law and the prophets. Instead, I choose to believe they were there on the mountain to offer him support, to remind him that they are there for him, that they were there because he needed them. 
These giants of the faith, they point Jesus in the direction he needs to go, and they encourage him as he faces his journey towards his death. It's almost like God the Father sensed Jesus' apprehension and sent down reinforcements to help, big-time reinforcements. We all need them in our lives. And perhaps God in his wisdom knew those closest to him, the disciples, just couldn't do it. Couldn't provide what he needed. And everything pastoral inside of me sees this as an incredibly pastoral moment. I think it's the kind of thing a loving father does for a beloved son. And that Jesus needed this boost is a testament to his true humanity. And that Jesus chooses to go on to suffer and die is a testament to his true divinity. I know this is probably a lot to take in. And you might be wondering, Mother Suzanne, what does this mean for me? How do I make sense of this in my life? How, how do I enter into this scripture? How do I enter into the story with Jesus? So on the most practical level, the basic question I can ask you, my people, is this. How can we practice transfiguration in our own lives? What does that mean? How do we translate this story this mystery that nobody really knows what to do with. How do I make sense of this in my own life? Well, said another way, maybe a bit simpler, is how can we allow the light of God's love to shine through us? To be light and salt, to be a salty person, to be a light that shines. To move about the space you inhabit with intention and purpose. To pay attention and be in awe. To revere things. To say, oh my gosh, I didn't create this, but boy, is it beautiful. To slow down and to offer space for God to come in however way he chooses whether it be through a person, through nature or wildlife, through a painting, a book, that first cup of delicious coffee in the morning, the first glance out the window, which reveals a display of color. However, God comes to you. The recognition within yourself, I didn't do any of it. And however God comes to you, we, just like Jesus, in those moments are transfigured. Perhaps not literally glowing as he was, but shining, casting an aura that is positive, inviting, and purposeful, being present to what is, aware that each moment is pure gift. Every moment. It's being mindful and in awe 
of that which we did not create, nor do we have the power to sustain. So the transfiguration is a lot. It is one of those thin spaces in scripture, but it is also so pivotal in the life of Jesus and his progression to the cross. Because when it's all over and when Moses and Elijah are gone, when the voice from heaven is silent, when Jesus' face and his clothing have returned to normal and the disciples are left in holy awe, all that is left is Jesus. That's it. Whatever all these signs and symbols may have meant, the disciples are once again with their Lord, their teacher, their friend. They are with him. Jesus, the one whose clothes and face shone like the sun, the one equal to Moses and Elijah, the one whom the very heavens proclaim as God's own beloved son, will not leave. Won't leave. And this is one of the things that I share passionately again and again. If you are in need of something in your soul that is missing. There's a really big space that hasn't been filled. Know that these are characteristics of God. Firstly, you are loved. And secondly, as we experience on the Mount of Transfiguration this morning, you are never, ever alone. He's with you right up until the very end. Even as he faces his own mortality, he is with you. And in that, may we find hope. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord, mighty Lord, bless and keep you forever, granting peace, perfect peace, courage in every of God which passeth all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge of and the love of God, of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost rest upon you this day and always. Amen. <laughs>